Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Jay and I am joined once again after his absence last week by Eddie. Hello. And he's not in a hospital bed as the previous title card portrayed, he's fine. (laughs) And today we're talking about a couple of games. I mean, they're arcade games, but we're more familiar with them from home platforms. So we'll be looking at them across the gambit rather than on a specific platform. But they are Bubble Bobble from 1986, which is 34 in the list, and Rainbow Islands, which is 66 in the list and is from 1988. So yeah, I had Bubble Bobble for my Commodore 64, probably one of my favourites on there because it was just easy to pick up, easy to figure out. It was obvious what you had to do straight away, so it got a lot of play. And it was a it was a proper two-player game as well, back when a lot of games were player one goes, then player two goes, then player one goes, rather than it being both on the screen at the same time. I don't know if you had Bubble Bobble or had it later on in, in life. I, I I did have Bubble Bobble, and it's a bit of a difficult one to peg in terms of the genre it belongs to, because there's, there's nothing else like it, really. I mean, I suppose from a, a purely aesthetic perspective, it looks like Ice Climber, but obviously yeah. Ice Climber, you continually moved your way up, and the screen sort of scrolled with you. Whereas this is just self-contained little, what the screen you see is the screen you have. But then it doesn't really equate to anything else. You can't really say, oh, it's like, other than another bubble bubble. It's it's a little bit similar and not massively to the original Mario Brothers. Yeah. When the enemies are coming out the pipes. it It's got a little bit of a feel to that, but it's very different in terms of how you beat the stages, how you beat the enemies, how you score points. So for anyone who's not played Bubble Bobble, you play as Bub or Bob, or both together, who are two little dragons who can spit bubbles out of their mouths. And when they do that, they can either capture enemies in them or they can actually use them to ride up the screen. So each level is its own self-encased square screen with various platforms and they get progressively more complicated as the levels go on and in certain ones there'll be bits of the screen at the top that you can only reach by riding one of your own bubbles up to the top to collect power-ups and that kind of thing every time you capture an enemy in a bubble you have to then pop it to get rid of that enemy if you don't and they escape from the bubble then they go angry in inverted commas and they just become a lot faster and harder to deal with so it's in your best interest not to stick enemies in bubbles unless you're in a position to actually burst them if you burst them they turn into a piece of food which you can eat to get bonus points clear all the enemies off the screen and you win that round and move on to the next one there are certain power-ups in it as i've just mentioned so there's one where if you encapsulate in a bubble and you set it off it will streak down the screen on any platform it finds and wipe out any enemy that it passes in the arcade i think the power-ups were a bit more prevalent than the home consoles they were electric fire ice power-ups that don't really feature in the home consoles as much yeah it was a it was a fun game to play as a two-player as well because you you're on the same team so you if one of you puts an enemy into a bubble and then falls off a platform the other one can go and pop it to make sure that it doesn't turn into a a supercharged enemy and and that kind of thing it was apparently one of the first games to have multiple endings which i didn't realize because i never got past like level 20 when i was playing it so there was no chance i was going to see any of the endings never mind all three of them 
But yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, and I'd read that it's the same for Rainbow Islands because it's yeah. obviously the sequel to it's Rainbow Islands, the story of Bubble Bobble 2, is it? The full time? Yeah, and I mean, I never made that connection when I was younger. No. And <laughs> it, looking at them, you wouldn't, would you? I mean, we'll come on to Rainbow Islands and talk about how different it is. The three endings were, so if you finished it in one player mode, it essentially told you to come back with a friend which was a bit harsh because I bet there are a lot of kids out there that didn't have any. And I mean, if, if you're playing on a Commodore 64 in like 1989 or something, chances are you've not got that many mates if you sat at home doing that instead of out playing football or something. So for the game to then actively mock you and tell you to come back with a friend if you want to see the proper ending was a bit mean. And then if you finish it in two-player mode, so the, the story is that Bob and Bob have been turned into these dragons by some sort of curse. And the the very end of the game has a boss as well, which which again was a bit rare for for that era of gaming to actually have a boss. At, I mean, it's level 100, so most people probably never even saw it, especially in the arcades. But yeah, it had an actual proper boss fight at the end. And when you defeat it on two-player, you get turned back into humans and reunited with your girlfriends. And it also gives you a code that you can decipher. And if you decipher this code and enter, I assume it's a button prompt, you unlock super mode, which is the game again, but faster. And then if you beat super mode, that I mean, the ending is bizarre. It, the ending is one of the most Japanese things I've ever heard of, to be honest, because if you beat super mode, you rescue your girlfriends and then the boss that you kill turns out to be your parents that were under some sort of spell and then they get broken out of that spell and then you're reunited with them as well. So it's like a big family reunion at the end of it, but it's such a bizarre ending for a game that was like pixel graphics back then. How they came up with that is is off the charts. But yeah, that, that was quite revolutionary for its time to have multiple endings. There probably wasn't any game before it that had done it, and I can't think of many after until you get into the areas of like Silent Hill and, and it became more prevalent then, didn't it, to have multiple endings depending on how you've handled the game. Yeah, with you saying the ending's very Japanese, the only way it could be any more Japanese is if it was two young kids using the power of friendship to destroy God. Because that's usually that's that's up there with like Earthbound in terms of a really weird ending that you just don't expect. Because I don't remember there being any plots. No, it's, it doesn't it's not explain exposition it to heavy. You. No, you just start off as these two dragons and go, "Oh, I'm yeah. a little dragon that can spit bubbles." Cool, and then yeah, this to the end hits you with all this lore that actually you were a human the whole time, trapped in a dragon's body. I mean, I love this game and. We've we've been harsh on like Pac-Man and Tetris and stuff, but I didn't really play them as as a kid. But I played this a lot, and I think the the characters for me are nicer than Pac-Man characters. As as iconic as Pac-Man is, the Bub and Bob are like really cool sprites, aren't they? I'm I'm amazed there isn't more merchandise made of them because they are perfect for plush toys and figures yeah. and that kind of thing. But it just you don't see it happen. And it, it just baffles me a bit that it, it doesn't get more love, I suppose. I mean, they they transitioned them into Buster Move, didn't they? And they're like the mascots for Buster Move instead now, which there's the bubble connection, I suppose. But other than that, I don't really get it. Maybe it's a game that wouldn't go over well these days. I don't know, because it is a bit simplistic. But it's it's one of the first games I can remember where I played it and died and went, oh, I want to do that again and see if I can do it better. 
it had that addictive property of, oh, I'll just try one more game and see if I can get better than I did in my previous one. And I think it does that really well. It certainly does it more for me than Pac-Man and Tetris do. If I lose on Pac-Man and Tetris, it's more an air of relief that I can play something else than I want to dive back into it and play again. So it had that going for it for me. So yeah, I rate it quite highly. Yeah, like you say, it's I had it for the Game Boy. So I didn't have the original copy because I never had a NES. I never had a Commodore. I think we've discussed one of my first consoles was a SNES. So I, I, my first experience with it was when I got an original Game Boy, the big blocky grey handheld um and i think it was one of the games that came with it at least from when i got given it anyway and yet like you say it is so addictive and it's i suppose the difference between it and pac-man is pac-man's levels are incredibly samey you don't get a massive amount of variation whereas this the platforms do change um in their layout whereas pac-man is very much what you see at the beginning is what you get you just get the ghosts move quicker or they follow different paths or your fruit is dotted around in different sort of locations whereas this actually has that oh that's a bit different and it does hit the addiction receptors quite well in terms of oh can i beat the high score on this level or uh i know what i did wrong there i should probably go back and give it another go yeah some of the level designs as well were really cool i remember some of them are like the enemies so the platforms are laid out to make out a, an image of one of the enemies in the game and then that level is heavy on that particular enemy and then you'll get another one where it'll be like i mentioned before with the snake in power up you'll get a level that is literally the whole thing is zigzags and if you set one of them off at the top you can clear the level in like two seconds if you're really good at it so it's all all the sort of level design was complementary to the player and it never felt overly cheap when you died you could always tell what you'd done wrong and and how you died rather than an enemy just spawning out of nowhere and hitting you for example you knew what what had gone on and you knew what mistake you made and how you could potentially better it one of the other things i read about it as well which was quite impressive was in certain levels there were secret rooms so if you got to i think it was 20 30 40 50 without losing a life a door would appear at the end of the level and if you went into it, it gave you a, a code to decipher, which would be a massive hint on how to beat later levels in the game, which again was fairly unheard of. I know some Atari games had hidden codes in them, and some of them, the the only way to beat them was to find these codes in hidden rooms, wasn't it, and use them to finish it. But this is the first I can think of where it was implemented as a just a hint system and a reward for doing well to get up to that point. Yeah, I can't think of anything that used that methodology outside of like a select few titles, really, and it is a select few. But it is something they carry on into the sequel. That mm. There are loads of secret rooms in that, and I think completing the secret rooms is how you get the proper ending the of the true second ending. game. Yeah. So yeah, it was. they tried it out in this one, it obviously went well. The other interesting fact, before we give it a score, the source code of it was lost in 1996. So like completely lost the source code. So all versions 1996 onwards had to be reverse engineered from an original arcade board that they got, which must not have been an easy thing to do. I mean, no. I wonder if that's why you don't see it as much, because they can't easily create recreate it again. I suppose so. It feels like something that should have had more re-releases than it has, or should have had more fanfare behind it 
these days. Like the amount of times you see Pac-Man cropping yeah. up and a new a new version of Pac-Man's come out that's the same as all the old versions of Pac-Man. It's just a bit more polished. I mean, they did that bloody Pac-Man arcade thing, didn't they, where it's just about 40 versions of Pac-Man in one yeah. game. And that Liet Bubble Bobble doesn't get a look in. And I do wonder if that's why, because it's quite hard to rebuild it. I mean, you'd think it would be easier these days to figure out how to just build a, a new version of it. Someone must have done it. But yeah, it's it's a bit baffling that you've got these two really saleable mascots in a fairly fun game and you've done nothing with it. I mean, Pac-Man's had bloody side-scrolling games. Is that a point-and-click game where you don't control him, you shoot him with a slingshot? Why have Bub and Bob never been used for any other games? They could have easily had a platformer. It would have worked perfectly. I mean, I'm supposing, then, that's why they ended up making the transition over to Buster Move. Um, so it was just easier. Because it, than... was, it was just easier to just build something else from the ground up and make mm. it sort of distinct from Bubble Bobble without having to, oh, let's try and get someone to reverse engineer this from this decades-old piece of hardware. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's it. And maybe it took them that long to work out a way around reverse engineering it that they just went do you know what the property's probably dead and buried probably no one's interested in it anymore let's just not bother yeah maybe which is a shame but i mean in terms of a rating i'd want to put this fairly high up i mean i'm thinking 80s somewhere and i know that people look at the list already and go you're putting it up there with the likes of like resident evil and all stuff like that but it's different it's not the same thing is it you can't compare one to the other this is for its time incredibly cutting edge incredibly fun incredibly well implemented in the way they did the two player and all that aspect of it and i just think it deserves a high score it's probably nostalgia because it was one of it's one of the first games i remember playing in in probably my entire life come to think of it and i remember playing it with my dad when it came out we had two joysticks well not when it came out but when i I got a Commodore 64 with a copy of it. Probably one of the first ones I did play. And we got two joysticks and we played it for ages because it was, like we've said, you just keep wanting to better yourself. And I probably dragged him back massively, given I was about five. And I was trying to uh, trying to get to grips with this game. But yeah, it's, it's one of those memories for me that I just can't bring myself to give it a lower score. And that's probably why people are a bit annoyed at what we gave Pac-Man, because that will be that for someone else, I expect. Yeah, just I suppose so. I suppose so, but at the same time, I can see this being more influential in how arcades developed. Mm. So Pac-Man was one player, and it was very much... The, the only sort of real aim for Pac-Man, really, is to get yourself onto the top of the high score table yeah. and be able to put your little three-character name in, like, bum or something like that so you were at the the (laughs) bum was at the top of the high score table whereas this you had that cooperative piece with it so you were both stood at the arcade cabinet and it was probably more of a driving force of oh let's just stick another 50p in yeah or another pound in like oh let's just have one more go and see if we can beat uh, do another level and that i can see that being more effective at draining your wallet than pac-man ever could have been really yeah i mean i go i was 84 was what i had in my head i don't know sounds fair to me think? sounds like so a fair we'll, enough score we'll go with 84 for bubble bubble now spoiler alert rainbow island isn't going to get close to that 
but we'll we'll discuss it anyway and then decide. I mean, Eddie might be a massive fan of it and I'm not, but for me, they don't deserve to be connected. I just don't think Rainbow Island is... I know it's a sequel, but it, it isn't in any sense of the word other than the name. I mean, the characters are the same characters, but they're not because they're in human form after the end of Bubble Bobble when they get turned back into humans. They, I mean, fair play to him for carrying on that continuity and going, no, we can't bring the dragons back because they were gone at the end of the first one. But it just, it, it's not as much fun for me. I just never got into Rainbow Island. I had it on my Commodore 64 as well. I just never got into it as much. The gameplay is not as fun, I don't think, and the constantly going up thing I don't particularly like. So, if, yeah, if you're not familiar with Rainbow Island, it, it is a sequel in, in name alone, just about. Bub and Bob are back as humans, and they can, I don't know, inexplicably fire rainbows out their hands. And these rainbows, you can climb up them, you can hit enemies with them, and I think if you jump on them, they drop, don't they, and they'll kill enemies that are underneath them as well. But the whole aim of it is to just keep getting higher up this level from left left to right. There's there's platforms scattered about and you have to just keep climbing, using the rainbows to go up, like defeating the enemies, collecting gems, I think it is, to finish this one. You've got to yeah. collect a certain amount of gems. They have fleshed it out massively in terms of how you finish the game properly. So fair play to them for that because you have to collect X amount of gems and then you have to collect X amount of co- different coloured gems or something like that to then get a master gem or something. It is, it's a bit convoluted, but it, it does add an extra level of challenge because there's certain ways, isn't it, that you get the different coloured gems. Yeah, you have to collect them in a certain order to be able to unlock the big gems. And I mean, like you say, credit to the uh, to the company because most less self-respecting companies would probably have pulled some old bullshit of, oh, they were really pop. The dragons were really popular in the last one. I know they got turned back to human at the end of the game, but oh, the 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 big enemies turned them back into dragons again for the beginning <laughs> yeah. of this game. Conveniently, <clears throat> moving swiftly on. But yeah, it, it they both. They don't deserve to be linked to one another, as you say. And at the same time, I think they don't deserve to be separate entries on this list. Yeah. Because, to be honest with you, I don't think Rainbow Islands deserves to be on the list at all. It's one of those games that I'm just a bit meh. But if they were going to put them on, they should have put them on together, despite the fact that they are so very different. We're, I think we're in the minority, though, on that, because Rainbow Island is very highly thought of, isn't it? it? It reviewed well at the time. It was in... I think it was one of the Atari magazines had like a game of the week and it was game of the week for about two years until sensible soccer knocked it off its perch. And then that carried on being the game of the week until or game of the month until the magazine ended. So they didn't have a lot of variation in their games of the month. I think (laughs) it was like every month they had a new challenger and they inevitably lost unless it was sensible soccer taking over from this. But I think Games Master put it as like 79 in the 100 best games of all time. And I think it got voted in some sort of Mega Drive poll in the top 10 game Mega Drive games ever. So I think we're in the minority, but it just I don't get why, because it's all right, I'd say. I'd say that is about as good as you can say for it. It, it plays well. It's fun for a bit. They took out the two-player element, which is, I assume it was a memory limit. That's the only reason I can think you would take it out because it's what made the first one so iconic that you could both play it at once. 
But in this one, it is an alternating player one goes, player two goes. And yeah, I can only assume because it, it is a step up in graphics as well, isn't it? It's fair to say that Bubble Bobble looks very plain compared to Rainbow Island. Rainbow Island's got all the colourful backgrounds, the really colourful enemies. The main characters are even more vibrant than they were in in bubble bubble so i can only assume that they were really pushing it to its limits and couldn't have two com- uh, controlled players firing rainbows off left right and center but also because you're climbing up a screen you've also got the problem of one person being left behind while the other one goes on and maybe they just couldn't make that work because it's not particularly zoomed out either is it there's not a lot of level before the bottom starts scrolling towards the top so i wonder if that played into it as well but for me that's a massive negative because you've crafted this two player at once game really well in the first one and then just lost that element in the second one yeah and and another thing to say in favor of the original bubble bubble over this one is you could finish the game yeah whereas the european version of rainbow (laughs) islands just crashed after level seven so you got to level seven, and and then it just crashed. I think it was specifically Master System, wasn't it? Um, yeah. This bug, and it just it put it just dumped you back to the title screen. The from title what I screen again. Yeah, and even if you used the level select code to get to level eight, as soon as you finished the level, it dumped you right back to the screen again. It would never <laughs> let you finish the game. I mean, it was finished. Uh, it was fixed in like the. Is it North Brazil American, or something? Yeah, the Brazilian version. However, the entire <laughs> breadth of Europe just got stuck with, well, you can't finish this f***ing game, lads, which <laughs> I kind of have to take points off it for, really. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't finish Bubble Bobble, but that was due to me no. because it was programmed badly. I don't even know if I could finish it now, to be honest. I, yeah. I think the late, the furthest I got was level 53, and that's like just over halfway, so I had a long way to go still. And I can't imagine I ever would have done it. I mean, I don't know if it's on any collections. Is it on the? Is it Taito who made it? Is it yeah. on the Taito collection on Xbox? It must be, surely. Probably, yeah, I would assume so. I mean, I appreciate it's a bit churlish of me to say you couldn't physically finish the game. I couldn't physically finish the game anyway because <laughs> I, I was too young and I probably didn't have the patience. Um, this I is certainly it. Don't have the patience now, but back, <laughs> the very back fact that then, you couldn't. I think this is the another good point for Bubble Bobble. It was that straightforward that had I been good enough, yes, I could have finished it. Whereas at the age of five, probably four or five, six, when I was playing this, I wouldn't have had the foggiest on how to finish Rainbow Island. I'd have just kept climbing up and then got annoyed when I got to the end and I'd not done it properly. Understanding all the gems and all that kind of thing for my tiny five-year-old brain or whatever it was at the time, I just wouldn't have had a chance. It would have just been try and get to the end and and that's the lot. So I do appreciate they made it more complex for people to play, but at the same time, for little kids playing it, you probably took a bit of the element of they're not going to be able to complete it out of it as well because they just wouldn't have had the time or concentration to figure out what they needed to do. In terms of Rainbow Island's score, I'm, I'd say 60s, and that's been yeah. generous, I think. It's just it's a shame because it, it's not a terrible game. I've just never connected with it, and I think it sort of... Not tarnish as Bubble Bobble, but I just do genuinely think they should have just kept them separate. Even if it had been the same protagonists and they just called it Rainbow Islands, it's the fact that they put the tagline on and went, oh, the story of Bubble Bobble, but it isn't. It doesn't explain anything from Bubble Bobble. So who? it, it just it was a, uh, it felt like a bit of a cash-in to me, like, oh, everyone loved Bubble Bobble. We've created this completely different game, but make sure you put the name in there so everyone knows 
that they might like this one as well. And then it just wasn't the same thing. Yeah, and I know that characters don't make a game most of the time. However, the marketability of two pixelated kids, I mean, it's it's not exactly... It doesn't draw a crowd, does it? (laughs) No, and they don't particularly... They're a bit generic as well, aren't they? Yeah. They're not not stylized kids in, in the character models. They... They remind me a bit of. Did you ever play? So you know there was two different types of Wonder Boy. I mean, this is opening a can of worms, but yeah. there was there was the Wonder Boy and the Dragon's Trap and the Dragon's Lair and all those type of games. But then there was like just one called Wonder Boy, and it was what was it on on the Super Nintendo? It was a different game, wasn't it? Yeah. It was um, something completely different with dinosaurs and stuff in it, and they. When Sega got hold of it, they just reskinned it as a Wonder Boy game, but it's nothing like the others. You ride on a skateboard, you throw hammers and all that kind of thing. And the little character model from that reminds me of the Rainbow Island characters, but just a lot nicer. He just looks a lot better. They've put a lot more effort into styling him up and stuff. So, yeah, they, they just don't stand out. And when you go from two really marketable little dragons to two generic kid models... It just, yeah, it's just a downgrade for me. And again, I think we're in the minority on that, but that's just the way that we see it. Do you want to go 67? Or do you think it deserves to be lower? Uh, well, I mean, we could we could be really cheeky and just put it in at 66 like the uh, Retro Gamer magazine did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. We'll give them that one. They've got one right. <laughs> Well, in all fairness, they didn't get the date wrong, so uh, they didn't get the date right. So uh... yeah, yeah, they didn't. To be fair, they said it was it came out in nineteen eighty eight, and it came out in nineteen eighty seven. We think, so <laughs> I got the intro wrong as well, thanks to them. But yeah, we'll give them that one. They got that one in just about the right place. I think we, I, I think that's probably the only one we've matched on so far. I think so. I mean, it probably won't end up at sixty six in the list because we've got multiples all over the place and stuff it'll get pushed around but in terms of actual score yeah we've matched their position so that's took up longer than i expected it would uh we did we did plan for this scenario though because we knew we wouldn't get an hour out of these two games so what we've decided to do is talk a little bit about because these were both games i had on the commodore 64 i've put a little list together of other games i had on the commodore 64 that i can talk about i mean this could be multiple episodes on its own i think i had about 60 odd games by the time i sold my commodore 64 because well they were all cassettes weren't they and they all cost about two quid most of them and some of them people just copied for you anyway because it was just right so i had loads of games a good proportion of them didn't load so before i talk about the games i'll talk about the console itself so i don't you didn't have any sort of home computer did you but no I had a Commodore 64, and then later I got a Commodore Plus 4, I think it was called, which looked a lot nicer, but was actually less powerful, I think. Uh, I think my mum picked it up in, like, an... This is probably from a bygone era as well, when there was, like, clubs and stuff, and they used to have auctions where people would just enter all the stuff in and sell it off. She went to one of them, and I think she bid a fiver on it, and nobody else wanted it, so I got this Commodore Plus 4 with about 30 games for a fiver. And it was never as good as the 64, but it had some different... It was like a football simulator one on there that I used to spend hours playing. And looking back at it now, it was crap. I mean, it was... <laughs> you you got a team and you always got the same team. I'm going off a bit of a tangent here, but you always got the same team and it was just whatever you wanted to call it. And then you'd go into a, a match and it'd play this like noise, this really aggressive beeping noise, and then something would happen. 
and it'd do this about five or six times per game. So it'd go like, eh, and then it'd come up and say, this team scored a goal. And then it'd make that horrible noise again. And then it'd be like, this person's got a yellow card. And then it'd do it again. This person's been injured. And you'd get about five of them. And at the end, you'd get a football result, like 2-1 or 1-0 or, or whatever. And then after about four or five games, it'd just flash this text screen up like, so-and-so's agent has contacted you. Do you want to sign Chris Waddle? Or something like that. And then you'd say yes or no. And then if you said yes, they took the money away and you got him in your team for the next game. And that was it. That was the entirety of the game. But I played that so much because back then it was just felt revolutionary, this football game. And the worst bit was when you got promoted, you had to insert take two and take two didn't work. So <laughs> I'd, I'd put all this effort in to get promoted. And every time I'd do it, I'd take the tape out, put take two in, and it'd just crash. And I'd be like, all right, yep, back to the beginning again. <laughs> so that was the only game I really remember on that. But on the 64, I had loads of games. And I won't talk about the obvious ones. Well, some of them are a bit obvious, but I've gone for the more obscure ones that I can think of that are in my collection that I really enjoy playing. So stuff like New Zealand Story and things like that that everyone's heard of. I won't bother going into because it's a brilliant game, but it's yeah, it, it wasn't one of my favourites. So I mean, I've made a list. I'll I'll just pick them at random until we run out of time. I think so. The 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 most notable one I've got on my list that people will know is Ghosts and Goblins, and that game was solid. I mean, it's difficult on the good consoles, but on a console that isn't particularly good at at going fast and keeping up with the pace of the action, it was nearly impossible. I just and because it just constantly respawns enemies in, you could stand there all day trying to get past the first hill because the enemies just kept coming over the top of it. And yeah, I, I did play that a lot and I never got past the first level. I don't think I even got halfway into the first level, but I'd play it a lot. I forgot I was gonna mention like the a bit about the console, wasn't I first? Let me just go back to that. So Commodore 64 had two different methods of loading games. They were floppy disks, which were the, the optimal version of the games. And there were what I had, which were cassette tapes. <laughs> so you had the the console was essentially a big keyboard with all the gubbins inside the top of it. And you'd plug a joystick into it on one socket, you'd plug it up to your TV, and it had come on a bit like a like a personal computer of the time. So it'd just be a blue screen with a cursor and it'd say ready or something like that. And you could use it to program if you wanted. It was a fully functioning like programming computer. But it also ran games, and that's what I got it for. And what you had to do is put a tape in, because it came with a little tape deck. So you'd rewind your tape to the beginning, put this tape in, close the lid, and you'd press play, and then you'd type run on the computer, and then it'd start reading the tape. But yeah, then it would take, I mean, depending on the game, a good 20 to 30 minutes to load a game. So, and, and while it did it, it would play really aggressive noises and flash like strobe colour lights at you on a lot of games. So it, you just put it on and then leave it. And it wasn't like you could just leave it on and ignore it because it's just constantly making these really aggressive noises at you at the TV. So what I'd do is I'd set it loading and then I'd go and have tea and come back and hope that the game had loaded. And I'd say a good two or three times out of ten it wouldn't load. It'd just fail. And then you'd have to do it all again and wait another 20 minutes and and some games had figured out that this was a bit boring so they'd put little title sequences on where the story was explained a little bit or there'd be random graphics flashing up so some of them were all right but a lot of them were literally big strobing colored screens in the name of the game for about 20 minutes so the tapes were really unreliable and and it was a bit like you had to get lucky with your version of the console as well 
like if me and Eddie had the had a Commodore sixty four each, there's no guarantee that his would play the same games that mine would play, and vice versa. So you could lend a game off a friend or go and buy one from a shop. And it just wouldn't work on your console. It would just fail to load. I remember my mum and dad bought me Ghostbusters. And I was so excited to play Ghostbusters. And I tried to load it about 20 times. And I think it loaded once and then crashed immediately. And they just, just had to take it back to the shop and be like, yeah, this don't work. Can I swap it for something else? It's not compatible. And that's just how gaming was back then. It, it sounds absolutely mental now. But if you're, it's like me getting a, having a PS5 and then it going, oh, yeah, this particular PS5 won't play Ratchet and Clank. Sorry. And then that's it, I can't play that game, and I have to just go and pick something else. And it sounds like madness now, but that is genuinely what it was like. So this list I've got are games mostly that loaded consistently. That's why they got played so much, because I knew that I wouldn't be wasting half an hour of my time. The the two that really stung were Ghostbusters, although I've later come to realise it's a terrible game, so I was probably saved from that. And the other one that always got to me was, there was a, a game called Tintin on the Moon, based on the Tintin cartoon and the little screen that popped up while it was loading was the rocket on the launch pad that really iconic red and white rocket and about halfway through the loading sequence if it was working the rocket would take off and then you'd get a picture of the earth and the rocket sort of went past it slowly and mine would never go past the launch pad I'd sit there and watch it for like 20-30 minutes and it'd never move and once I got to see the planet and I was like oh it's gonna work it's gonna work and then it just never went past that and it's not until probably today, actually, I watched a playthrough of it and realised how good that game actually is as well and how much I missed out. Because it's the first part of it is like a flight sim, so you're controlling the rocket going through space. And then the second part of it is like a platformer with guns and stuff. And I was like, I've, I've really missed out on a good game with that one. But yeah, that's that's exactly what it was like back in the day. I mean, it baffles Beggar's belief why we got rid of like floppy disks and cassettes and moved to CD, <laughs> really, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, CDs are CDs had their own issues, didn't they? You get a little yeah. mark on a CD and, and you're in the same boat, That's essentially. But at least you didn't have to wait 20 minutes to find out you were done. <laughs> that was the main issue. And oh, God forbid you got a game that was on multiple tapes because <laughs> then you were really in trouble. But yeah, some of the ones that I can think of. So Ghosts and Goblins was the most obvious one that people probably have heard of the other one that i played an awful lot and is one of still one of my favorite games characters was magic land dizzy there's loads of dizzy games out there but for me magic land because it was the first one i had just always sticks in my head absolutely impossible game to finish even now i'd struggle but as a kid it was more just looking at the screens that i hadn't seen before if i found a new screen I was over the moon because I got to see a bit more of the game. But yeah, Magic Land, the, th- the thing that I love about Dizzy, and I think the thing that won me over with it is the artwork on the front of the cassettes is absolutely amazing. If I could have that artwork blown up and put in frames around my house, it would be all over because all of them, barring the first one, the first one's weird, but barring the first one, I think all the other Dizzy games have got absolutely stunning artwork. And this is a thing that followed through on a lot of Commodore 64 games. A lot of them had amazing artwork and then the game looks nothing like it. But Dizzy sort of carried it through. You got the artwork and you could imagine that in the game as well. Yeah, I mean, the one that I remember is the one where he's got like the Explorer's hat on. Ooh, Fantastic Land, is it? Magic, it, Magic Ireland Dizzy or something like that? Or It was the one that came out for... It was on like Game Gear and stuff, wasn't it? 
Yeah, but yeah, I, I remember that being solid. It's fantastic, Dizzy, that one. Uh, where he's got, well, I don't, yeah, he's got the little hat with the arrow through it and he's climbing up a beanstalk. Is that the That's one the you're one. thinking of? Yeah. Yeah, and that one was the, so that one's a bit of an anomaly because it's it's all bits of other Dizzy games stitched together into one massive one. So you've got, there's not that much from Magic Land Dizzy to be fair, but then you've got Bubble Dizzy, which was a game where you just rode bubbles from the bottom of the screen to the top. That's a mini game in Fantastic Dizzy. There's Dizzy Down the Rapids, I think it's called, where you're on barrels and you're going down down like a stream. Quick Snacks, they were Dizzy games. I'm not sure if that features in Fantastic Dizzy or not. I don't think it does actually. But yeah, that one was all different areas because in one of the, I think in Magic Land Dizzy, there's a dragon that lives underground and you have to go and appease him. And that's from Magic Land Dizzy and that's pulled into fan, uh, Fantastic Dizzy. So that was their like magnum opus, I think. They just went, right, every bit of the other games we've got that have gone over well, stitch them all together and we'll make this one massive game. And yeah, I've played that one an awful lot, but that came a lot later than this one. Magic Land was Zax, the evil wizard, had yes. turned all, all the other yoke folk into... One of them's been frozen in a block of ice, one's been turned into a tree... There's all these different things, and you have to go and find items that will rescue them, and then you can go on and fight him at the end. But doing that is so hard. So, so hard. And the bit that always sticks in my mind, there's a well in Magic Land Dizzy. Yes. And I was if you say fall that. down the well, you end up, if you're quick enough, you can get into a little tunnel to the side. But there's a rat in there, and unless you've got a specific tool, you can't get past it, so it's death anyway. And the amount yeah. of times I fell down there and ended up just being like, is there any way I can possibly escape this? No, I'm going to have to die. And then you start all over again. Um, but yeah, it, and it was one hit deaths. The jumping was abysmal because he Dizzy's got massive momentum, hasn't he? So when you jump, he goes end over end. Uh, and you just never know where he's going to stop because he'll just keep rolling when he lands. But so much fun to play and such an endearing character. And again, I'm surprised they've not done anything else with him. They tried. They tried. They did a Kickstarter and it didn't fund, I don't think. Oh. It's the Oliver twins, isn't it, who make Dizzy? Yeah. And yeah, they did a. am sure they did a Kickstarter or something along those lines that didn't go as well as it could have. And I think whatever game they were working on, they released it as like a browser game so you could still play what they'd done. But yeah, I'd, I'd love a, a new Dizzy game. That would be amazing. That would make my day. But I just can't see it happening now. It's just most people don't know who he is. And the yeah. ones that do are probably still playing Commodore 64s and Ataris rather than any sort of new console. So Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I suppose it's a bit like a point and click but with the psychotic edge of Dragon Quest in there, with <laughs> yeah. one-hit death and literally everything in the game is designed to kill you. So it's all the key hunting puzzles and get the item to give to this person thing of a like a point and click, but then psychotic death. You could only carry three items as well in Magic yeah. Land Dizzy, and which is a trope in most of the games. It does change slightly in a couple, but... You can only carry three and you cycle them. So if you pick one up, you drop the earliest thing you picked up. So if you then want to pick that up again, you just have to keep walking over it and picking it up until it cycles into a position where you've got all the three items you actually want. And yeah, there's there's weird stuff. Like Dizzy can't swim, so you have to find a snorkel if you want to go into the water and, and stuff like that. It's 
it's fairly straightforward, but the difficulty in the game comes from the ridiculous platforming and just how hard it is to control. But a fun one nonetheless, and as I say, the artwork on it, even the title screen on the Commodore 64 looks really nice to say what it's working with. So that one got a lot of time out for me when I was younger because I knew it would load and I knew that I'd never beat it. So I was just always trying to just get that little bit further. One that I watched a playthrough of because I thought I'd imagined it as some sort of fever dream and I had to Google it before we started recording and now it is a real game. So this one might not have much worldwide appeal, but in the UK, I'm sure people have heard of Sooty and Sweet. And they had a game on Commodore 64. It was just called Sooty and Sweet. They didn't do anything particularly adventurous with it. And you played as either Sooty or Sweep. And Sooty has a magic wand and Sweep has one of those like spritzer bottles that can spray water, I think it is. And you essentially just have to go around their house, which is in an incredible state of disrepair, and collect bones. So there's 29 bones scattered around. I mean, I understand why Sweep's collecting it. Maybe it's more sinister if you're playing as Sooty, I don't know. But you have to go around and collect 29 bones and you've got 10 minutes to do it. And the house is just full of detritus and there's bees everywhere for some reason and then there's like a snail crawling about on the kitchen worktops and then the the dining room table's got a worm on it that's like wiggling about and if you hit them with the seltzer bottle or the magic it freezes them for a couple of seconds and you can run past them without getting hurt so you can't even kill anything you can just freeze it in place for a little bit from what i remember it's one hit kills but the person who did the playthrough smashed it so they never got touched so i couldn't guarantee that but yeah i mean they finished it in five minutes and i never finished it but i played it a lot because it looked all right and at the time i loved sooty and sweet because i was of that age and yeah there's like there's one magic wand oh that's it that's another thing as well your magic wand power or your water depletes the more you use it and there's like two refills across the whole house so unless you time it really well or you're quite good at avoiding enemies instead of stunning them, you will run out of that. Another weird thing is, is so for those not aware of it, Sooty and Sweep are like hand puppets. And there used to be this guy called Matthew Corbett that was always with them, who's credited on the first screen of the game. Like his name is the first <laughs> thing that comes up. And there was a third character and a fourth later, but we don't talk about that. There was a third character called Sue, who was a panda, who was a... A bit of a knob, really, if you watch the choose the one that was always grassing <laughs> yep. them in and, and just being a bit bit of Marty and stuff. For some reason, she's on every single screen of the game. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense because you walk from one room to the next and she's there before you, even though she was on the other side of the room a second ago. And and I don't think she serves any purpose other than to just be a sprite on screen and at one point cause confusion because she stood in front of a door that you can go through. So you don't think you can go through it, but actually you can and go into the basement. So I don't really get what that was all about. But no, it was fun. It, uh, for, for a sort of five, six-year-old, it was fun. I can't imagine people are getting much enjoyment out of it these days. But it looked all right, apart from the fact that because Sweet was grey and a lot of the objects were grey, he just blended into them all. It was definitely easier to play it as Sooty. Yes, for the, for the non-English listeners out there, if you ever want a bit of a laugh... <laughs> YouTube sweep Nesson Dormer. So there is a full so Luciano Pavarotti full version of Nesson Dormer with with sweep and sweep can't talk. Sweep literally squeaks like a dog toy. So it's the entirety of Nesson Dormer in this really high pitched squeak. 
that just follows the sort of the the tremors and the the uh, alto and the pitch of Ness and Dorma. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's worth well, a laugh. I'll have to have a look for that. <laughs> I, I used to love Sooty and Sweep. I mean, it was one of my favourite programmes. There's there's a bit from one of them. I had it on video. I must have done because I saw this bit too many times for it to have been on TV where I don't know what's happened, but Sooty's clearly not happy with the uh, with old Matthew Corbett, and he just absolutely brays him with a big breadstick over the back of the head. <laughs> and that just that is like a core memory for me of just seeing this poor bloke getting smashed over the back of the head with a breadstick. But that's that's one that'll stick with me forever. I don't know if that's on YouTube, but if it is, I might have to go and look it up because that was one of my favourite moments. But anyway, moving on. We'll stick with the British kids TV theme. So there was a Postman Pat game, which sounds like it'd be horrific. But actually, it was really good. So you could drive the van. You could get in the little postman's van and drive around. And you had to go to the post office, collect parcels or letters, and then deliver them to places on the map. So it was like a full town that you could drive around. And some were letters, some were parcels. But then there was like things would happen to stop you delivering them. So at one point, you'd go down a road and a load of sheep would have escaped from a farmer's field. And you had to herd them back into the field before you could drive the van past and stuff like that, and it, it, again, it was a game for kids, but it had a lot more detail to it than it deserved to have for a kid's game. It wasn't just go A to B and well done, you've done it. There was a lot of thought gone into it, and I think I did actually finish that one a couple of times because it was fairly achievable. A lot of Commodore 64 games, finishing them wasn't an option. Like, that wasn't the goal. It was just to get a bit further was always the goal. But this one actually felt like and it was possible to finish it because I did it a couple of times. But that one was quite charming in its own way, and there are full playthroughs of that if you want to check them out on um, on YouTube. The other one, not so much. So I don't know if you remember a character called Ed the Duck. I, I do, unfortunately. So Ed the Duck was another hand puppet, nowhere near as popular as Sooty and Sweep, and he was he didn't have his own programme at first, did he? He was sort of the segue bit between other kids' programmes. So it was him yeah. and... Was it Andy Peters? It, uh, unfor- again, unfortunately, yes, it was. Kids TV presenter. And incidentally, while we're talking about funny clips, have a look for uh, a clip of Andy Peters and throat singing. That's all you'll need to type in. There's a there's a bit... Because he's like a, a daytime TV presenter now, isn't he? Or something like that. He, he just like reports... And there's a clip of him where some people are throat singing and he goes to interview them, falls over a rock and like kneecaps one of them. <laughs> so that's that's worth a look. But back to Ed the Duck. He was the puppet character that introduced the next TV show and there was a bit of banter. And there's been loads over the years, aren't there, on, on kids TV. There was Otis the Aardvark. The there Aardvark, was, um, yeah. what was that dog called that, that says we're just men? He's my favourite. I can't remember his name, but he's good. That's another good clip to go and look for. I, I might link that in the description because that is a good one. And we're just, we're just normal men. What do you mean, normal men? We're just innocent men. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I might even cut the sound bite and we'll use it on air sometimes because it is one of my favourites. But yeah, there's been loads of these, and Ed the Duck was just one in one in a line of many. But for some reason, everybody absolutely loved him because he was like, was he meant to be a punk? He got a Mohican, hadn't he? He got a Mohican and usually like a, a studded leather jacket or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, 
and he got his own game because obviously, I mean, this this is another thing I was going to point out. Back then, everything got its own game. Yeah. If there was somebody sat in a bedroom prepared to code it, everything got its own game. EastEnders had a game. Uh, Grange Hill had a game. There's like literally everything. You look at a list of Commodore 64 games and you look through them and it's bizarre. I think there was one game that was like How to Be a Bastard or something was just this Commodore 64 game. <laughs> I don't know what it entails, but it's out there. Um, and yeah, Ed the Duck got one, which is almost a blatant ripoff of Rainbow Islands. That's why I wanted to mention it because... It's the same premise. You climb up collecting things and you've got to get from bottom to top. You can't fire rainbows to climb on, but other than that, it is the same game, except you're Ed the Duck and all the enemies are themed. I mean, to be fair to them, they've not just done the generic throwing a load of enemies that don't relate. One of the enemies is like a big hand that comes to try and grab you, which I vaguely remember being one of the things off the TV show and there's like other enemies that fit in with that world. So they've, they've put thought into it, but it is literally just a rainbow Island ripoff. It looks exactly the same just with Ed the duck instead. And I had that and I played that quite a lot. I'm ashamed to say never got very far on it, but in terms of other games, let's have a look. So there was one that I was, it didn't load very often for me. It was one of those that I probably got loaded like once in every 50 times. And it was called school days. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one. Yeah. It rings a bell. So you are a student at a school and the the view of the screen is the school as if it's been sliced open from the side and you walk in the entrance to start the day and you've got a slingshot because everyone had slingshots back in the 90s. That was the go-to weapon if you were a kid. And you've got a timetable of lessons that you're meant to go to and you're meant to sort of keep to this timetable. But when you're in lessons and the teacher steps out, you can physically write on the blackboard. So, like, you go on the keyboard and you can write knobhead or whatever you want on the board, (laughs) and it actually comes up on the board, and then the teacher comes in, and if he catches you, you get in trouble, or if you get away with it, you get points. And it was, yeah, basically you just wanted to be a little the whole way through the game. There was all targets, like school crests above in the hallways, and if you fired a slingshot at a teacher, it'd bounce off their head and hit one of them. You'd get points for that. And it was all stuff like that. And it, it was quite fun. I think I sort of thought it to be more than it was because I got to play it so few times. So I'd, I'd build it up in my head as being this amazing game. And actually, it probably wasn't that good. But even to this day, I think of it as being like a really good game because I barely ever got to play it. Going back again to kids TV in the 90s in the UK, a game called Count Ducula in No Sacks, Please, oh, We're Egyptian. We're Egyptian. Oh, <laughs> one of the best episodes of Count Ducula ever. Not the best game, though. <laughs> I can imagine. So in the game, you've got, you don't have a health bar, you have a time limit. And every time you get hit, your time decreases, like quite rapidly from what I remember, and I don't even know what the point of the game is. I played it so much, and I still don't really know what you're meant to be doing. I think you've got to collect so many Egyptian artefacts, and then you can get into this tomb to get the saxophone. But the thing that I absolutely loved about it is that it had like RNG, even back then. So in certain screens, Igor would walk out with a tray, and when you went to him you'd get like i think you'd get time increased it'd like you'd get a snack and it'd increase your time and then randomly because there's loads of doors in the pyramid that you need to go and collect keys to open but randomly on some screens nanny had just burst through one of the doors and it'd just open so if you got the right amount of luck you could actually get quite far in it but it was incredibly hard because again it didn't control that well the enemies were quite vicious 
in how quickly they moved and how quickly they could drain the clock if they touched you. But it's just one that sticks out because it looked really good. Like I was a fan of the cartoon and the game did look exactly like the cartoon. And just that the joy of walking into a screen and just seeing Nanny like cramped into this doorway, <laughs> smashing it to bits was um I mean if you've never seen Ducula, none of this will make any sense, but go and Google it because it, it was fantastic. In fact, to be fair, you could probably get a full episode playthrough on YouTube these days of No Sax Plays Egyptian. There's some cracking puns in it because the two mummies in it are called Who Might and You Be. So obviously <laughs> there's the I'm Count Ducula, Who Might You Be? Yes, we are. And it's the, the whole play on words thing and it just goes on and on and on. But it's very funny, especially for kids. Yogi Bear and the Greed Monster, which I think I've mentioned on one of the other episodes. Uh, this was a good one because it it was it looked brilliant for a start. The graphics on it. I mean, you look at it now, you probably think it looks awful, but at the time, this was like cutting edge. You could tell who all the characters were, and the there is a plot to it, but I'm not 100 percent sure on what that is. But the end goal is all your friends have been captured by the greed monster, and you have to go around collecting sweets and then get into this castle and save them. And it's got all the Hanna-Barbera characters in it. So you play as Yogi Bear, but Boo Boo's been captured, Snagglepuss, that horse. I can't remember the name of the horse with the cowboy hat on. There's these two little mice that have been captured as well. And you go around and they're all in different colour-coded rooms and you have to find the right key and get to them and get in and get them out. And the reason I think I've mentioned it previously is because, on my copy at least, the end screen was corrupted and it just used to put up this like big green mess of pixels when i finished it and i was convinced i was doing something wrong and that's why i wasn't getting the proper end screen so i finished it about 200 times trying loads of different collecting all the sweets in a different way making sure i got all the sweets unlocking all the different characters in different orders i tried everything and it turns out it was just because i had a corrupted version of the game and actually i was completing it correctly every single time but that one stuck in the memory a lot uh, one more I'll mention just before we finish. I have got loads more on this list, but this one I think deserves a mention. So have you ever heard of Spy versus Spy? Yes, and I can't tell you why. So I think it's from an American comic book or, or something along those lines, and it's these two very long-nosed, angular characters. Yes. There's a, a black spy and white spy, and they wear black clothes and white clothes, and they essentially the whole comic strip is just them trying to outdo each other, and that is what the games are. And they made three of them because I had the third one, which was called Arctic Antics. And it played as either a two-player and you had your own little separate screen stacked one on top of each other, or you could play it against the computer, I believe, and they'd take control of the other spy. And what you were doing is there's three artifacts that you need to escape from the Arctic in a rocket. And if you go to the rocket without them all, a polar bear comes out of this hole and like tries to eat you and you run away. And you're trying to gather all three of these artifacts, which are randomly scattered when you start the game. They're not in the same place twice. And you go to collect them, but the other spy is trying to collect them as well. And if they collect a piece that you need, you have to set a trap. And then if they get caught in the trap, you get that piece off them. And it, it goes like that. So you're basically just setting traps so you get like a saw and you can saw a hole in the ice. And then if they walk over it, they fall in. You have a cold meter, which is your health. And if that depletes because you get caught into any traps, you just lose straight away. But there's igloos where you can go and warm yourself up. So if you go in one of them, your health fills back up again. And it doesn't sound like much, but it was such a fun game. And, and yeah, I, I remember playing it against other people more than 
this is why I'm not even sure if there was an AI in it. I think there probably was, because you wouldn't have got away with selling a purely two-player game back then, I don't think. But yeah, it was so much fun, because you can sort of see what the other person's doing, because you're on the same screen. But you're that engaged in it, you don't look, because you don't have time, because you need to get where you need to get and lay all these traps and stuff. So that was really fun. I think the one before it was set in a jungle, and I don't know where the one before that was set, but if you've got an emulator or anything, or you actually have got an old Commodore 64 knocking around and you've never played them, give that one a go because it is it is a lot of fun and it's uh, again one of those ones where i'm surprised they've not made a more modern version of it because the concept is pretty good for a multiplayer i think you could flesh it out and make it a lot more complicated even if it was just like a like a mini game in something else yeah i think it'd be a really good game so yeah that that was a that's the last one i'll go into but like i say i could do a full episode on these so if you've enjoyed hearing these Commodore 64 memories and want us to talk about more, sign up to our Patreon and let us know on there. <laughs> or if you're already on it, let us know on there. Which is a good time as any to throw a little Patreon plug in, I suppose. So if you'd like to join our Patreon, we do put exclusive episodes up on there, usually a month early. There's one in the editing bay as we speak, getting ready to go up on there. Uh, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers and signing up to any of the tiers that are over, well, £5 and above. So the Bucket Kicker or above tiers will get you all that content exclusively early. You can also join the Couple of Coins tier if you'd just like to support us and and see the updates we put on there, and we do give the occasional shout-outs from that tier and polls and all that kind of thing when we we get more into the patreon side of things so yeah that's the uh, that's the plug for patreon we we really do appreciate people joining it because it keeps us going and as we've said a couple of episodes running now our costs have have increased i mean it does mean we can do fun things like this which I'm, I'm sure you'll appreciate is worth the 15 pound a month that we're now paying as opposed to the zero <laughs> we used to pay yeah, we, we do have more stuff at our disposal now, and we can do videos and that kind of thing on here, which I'm not too keen on doing, but maybe we will at some point. So thank you for enabling us, essentially, to do that. So let's give the shout-outs to the people who deserve it. We have got in the Couple of Coins tier, Harry Flynn. In the Bucket Kickers tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Ric Flair. And in the Avatarnish tier, we've got Atropos. Again, thank you guys for keeping us going. If anybody else wants to kick in as well, please do. Anything helps, any little amount helps. It really does all go towards keeping the channel running and it definitely doesn't go towards Pokemon cards. We <laughs> we exclusively spend it on our hosting at the minute. We are, speaking of Pokemon cards, we've got some videos which are due out soon and we will be recording some more for the new Paradox Rift set. So hopefully we'll have some more coming out soon. We've got some reels to put out, but I've just not had a chance to put them on. So we do have video content coming. If you're more of a a video person than a podcast person, you can check us out on that as well. (sighs) This one's not been too bad in the end, has it? No, better than I thought we were going to do on Bubble Bobble and uh, Rainbow Islands. I feel like I've talked for the majority of it. So (laughs) is, is there anything you want to bring up before we... Has Metal Gear come down in price? Have you bothered buying it? Is... No, still, still, a, still at a complete rip-off price. Although the Tomb Raider remake is thirty quid. Yeah, it's what we expected. It's cheaper than what I expected. To be fair. Yeah, to be fair, I was expecting them to have a pants down completely with it, and especially after the Metal Gear fiasco. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised because it actually looks like it's a they've made an effort. <laughs> Whereas the Metal Gear is just like, oh, it'll do. 
I was um I was editing together the last episode, i.e. the one that was gonna be a lost episode until we couldn't record last week. And we'd obviously recorded it quite a while back. And there's a bit where I'm assuming you haven't had a chance to listen to it back yet, but there's a bit on it where um, we're talking about Metal Gear and you, you go, yeah, it's only 25 quid, so you can't really go wrong. Like, <laughs> little <laughs> oh, did we know. <laughs> those poorly chosen words. <laughs> Although there is also a big bit in it where I just tear into that Robocop game and actually it looks really good. So I had to eat my words and, and edit a bit in on that one. Speaking of which, while we're on the subject of tearing into things, that King Kong game's out, and it's 50 quid. It looks like shit. We've, we've talked about this already, haven't we, that it's come out and it's stupidly expensive for what it is. But yeah, it's, we, we called it on that the show that's just gone out. We said it looked garbage, and indeed it does. But for 50 quid as well, it's just... It is preposterous. Yeah, I think that's going to be the worst game of this year, surely. I know Gollum's pushing it close, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gollum came out full price, didn't it? Go- Gollum was yeah. like 60, 70 quid, so I suppose 20 quid extra, but... And then um, I also realised when I was editing it that I've not picked up uh, Bang On Balls yet, or whatever it was called. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yes. So I need to have a look at that and see how much it is. One, one game that caught my eye this week, actually, which I never thought I'd be that interested in, uh, it was the Nicktoons All Star Brawl two, yeah, which apparently is quite good. It's got a career mode and it's got quite a few new characters in it. Uh, Ren and Stimpy are in it, I think. Which uh, the Angry Beavers are back and they're in it. I think they've got rid of Cat Dog, which is always a good thing. <laughs> so, I mind. I've I've had a look and I can't find it cheap anywhere yet. Uh, but it looks like it's one of these where you can either buy the full game or get a season pass thing which I'm never a massive fan of, so I need to work out what what essentially I have to pay to get the whole game and not have to just keep yeah. buying bits of it in piecemeal. So that'll be maybe one we can talk about next week. But yeah, I, I do wholeheartedly apologise to the people who made Robocop because admittedly the graphics don't look amazing in some parts of it, but the game looks really fun. And I think once it comes down in price a bit, I probably will pick that up. We, d- we do not retract our comments about King Kong though. No. And that other game, the one that I couldn't figure any information out about whatsoever, is on Game Pass. I can't even remember what it was called now. The one that I accused of potentially being a dating sim. Oh, yeah. Is on Game Pass, so I might install that and see what it's all about, but it really doesn't look like my cup of tea from what I've seen of it. No. Uh, Is there anything else we need to talk about that's happened this week? I don't actually think much has gone on, has it? A pretty quiet week, to be honest, aside from um, one of the most recent... Well, it's quite a long-established gaming channel, to be fair. It's called The Escapist. All right. They do a lot of episodes of things like Zero Punctuation. They have like a little D&D spin-off. They do a load of Let's Plays and stuff like that. They have sacked their editor-in-chief, who is quite well-respected, to be fair, and basically... We think that the company got bought out by a bigger company and they got told to meet deadlines that were or achieve goals that were completely unfeasible, despite the fact that it was in constant growth year on year. So they Mm. sat their editor in chief and then literally about 50 percent of the people that worked with him went, "Okie dokie, well, we'll see you later. And they've all left (laughs) as well. So they've just left in droves. And obviously some of the things on there are their intellectual property and obviously mm. they've just had to shut down the video side of their website because it's just like, nope, don't belong to you anymore. Sorry, mate. In a little bag on the back and then off they trot. 
See, this is why I'm happy. It's just me and you on here. Yeah. Unless we have a big falling out, which you never know. You never know what's going to happen. If I get forced to play Shenmue, there's a good chance that... You you do need to play it at some point for one of these episodes. I'm sorry. We're running out of time, aren't we, on that one? I keep putting it off and putting it off. Maybe I'll play it over Christmas and just ruin the season altogether. But yeah, if, if any massive companies want to buy us out, we definitely can't keep to deadlines, so crack on and then... <laughs> I don't think there's any risk of that. We'll take the money and run. Oh, you've got yes. to think big, Eddie. You never know. <laughs> if anybody at Microsoft's listening in, I don't think we've been particularly harsh to anything Microsoft-related yet, have we? They didn't make Kong, so we're all right. <laughs> no, no, we should be okay. And on that note, I think it's probably a good time to end this. I don't know what we're doing next week. We... We're down to 23, are we? 22 games? 22, I think. 22 games on the list. Some of them are ones that we want to save till the end, so we've got something good to talk about, and some of them we have no idea what we're going to say. So next week, potentially, another bang average game and loads more talk about Commodore 64 games. Hey! That doesn't really fit, but I don't have any other sound bites on it at the minute. <laughs> And on that note, I will say that's goodbye from me. And that's goodbye from me. And also goodbye from... You didn't think we were going to get rid of him just because it's not Halloween anymore, did you? (laughs) He's going to be the dubbing for Santa, isn't he, at the Christmas episode? (laughs) Oh, that's not a bad idea, yeah. I'll I'll put some jingle bells behind it. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.